Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. And this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Caring Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find a silver lining or flip it into something that, while probably not positive, will at least be productive. Hi, Brock. How are you? I'm having the best morning I've ever had because I just got to listen to your partner fix your entire life. Oh, my God. That was such a, a beautiful slice of things for, for the listener at home. Uh, Marguerite popped in to uh, fix the entirety of the recording setup, uh, which included several things on your end, uh, starting with stuff that just wasn't plugged in. Uh, and, and she was slightly frustrated because she's also doing your taxes and making dinner. Did I get all of that right? In the pathetic fallacy of a defense that I can offer, I am, in fact, doing dinner. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're okay, great, great, great. <laughs> but it is there that my defense begins and ends. <laughs> That's that's always how I thought I would meet her was troubleshooting your entire life at the same time. <laughs> what a wonderful, wonderful person. What a great introduction. <laughs> Honey, I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah, it's okay. Here we go. I thought that you were messing with me because I'm late today because the cat got fed and then the cat threw up and the dog tried to eat the throw up. And when I tried to get the dog away from the throw up, another cat peed and I was just like, there's just too many bodily functions happening here, but I'm late. And then I got here to your messages of like, I, I'm ready, I'm here, I'm good to go, that it happened 20 minutes earlier. And then I kept trying to connect to you, and we it is nearly an hour after our stated start time. And I was like, what is, what is happening on that end? And finally, Marguerite's beautiful voice being like, hello, I'm trying to fix him. <laughs> this isn't a constant for me, but I will freely admit... That there are days where I am the living embodiment of that moment from the old Destiny 2 advert where Cade 6 goes, I and I thought, I've got this. I've got this. I did not have this <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, I think you got it now. How's life on your end? Pretty good. It's been a strange week. Um, a very short one. We were in Cardiff for Marguerite's birthday, which was great, and which also involved spending time not sleeping directly next to a highway. So strangely, we slept really very well. Uh, and it's so weird because we're both water kids. I grew up on the Isle of Man. She grew up in the Bay Area. Yeah. So you put us near a body of water and you can actually hear our heart rates drop. It's really cool. <laughs> but yeah, that was fun. We did touristy nonsense, which was great. And then I had a three-hour meeting with my boss in London about a day later, which, it being my brain, of course, when this was changed from a lunch meeting to a three-hour meeting, my brain immediately went... You're being fired. He's just going to say you're fired really slowly, <laughs> like subsonically across those three hours. And it turned out not. It was just there's a couple of things that we're doing at my day job that he's really excited about. And he's not in the country very often. So he, he wanted to talk to me about it, which was and it was actually really cool. It's a really positive meeting. The two hours I spent measuring the length of Paddington Station over and over again, <laughs> waiting for a train I could take home without it feeling like a cramp rock show without the actual rock in it that sucked a lot harder but it was all right I had a good week how about you i've always enjoyed that moment of of sheer existential panic before finding out that your boss just wants to talk to you about like a fun idea or maybe something entirely unwork related <laughs> right okay you called me in for that i i i had a heart attack for a day and a half but thank you we can give more context to things. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I, I I didn't quite sit down and he went, you know what's great? Fries. Aren't fries great? But it was a conversation within sight of that. 
Hey, what do you got for us this week for a story? Strangely enough, I have one I found in Cardiff. <laughs> in fact, I sent you a photo which directly illustrates I am this. opening it now. <laughs> you can't talk about science fiction in the UK without talking about Doctor Who. As I talk to you right now, in fact, uh, producer Russell T. Davies and Shooty Gatwa, one of the first two people of colour to ever play the Doctor, are getting ready to unleash their first season together. Now, this is actually the second time Davies has been in the big chair, and I, I say this as a six foot two, four hundred pound man. The chair for Russell T. Davies is big. I've met him. He makes me look small. Really? I did not know he was that, that big of a gent. Okay. <laughs> Neither did I, until I found out in the most hilarious of circumstances. Um, a very long time ago, and this is directly relevant to the story, I somehow found myself working for a media outlet that was loosely connected to Firefox. We were somehow called Firefox, could use their logo, but we weren't paid and we weren't actually the web browser. I don't understand either. So... Somehow, I score a review and an invite to the press screening for the first episode of season two of Torchwood. And this is in London at fuck you o'clock. And I live in York at this point. <laughs> so I drag my ass up at like 5 a.m., stumble down to the train, get a first class train all the way into London. And I show up at this press theater, which I'm pretty certain was a club of, 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 as we say on this side of the pond, dubious repute at various points in its life, because it was underground and there was way too much red velvet. David Lynch would have gone into this place and gone, good start. Cool. I love that you did this uh, for the season two of Torchwood after what season one was. Like You saw season one and you were like, yeah, I do have to wake up super early to be there <laughs> for, for season two. So they, they do the full court press for this thing. The entire cast are there, and Russell T. Davies is there, and a whole bunch of journalists. And at this point, I am a baby journalist, and I'm fucking exhausted, so I'm, I'm useless. I'm not getting very much good material at all. But we, I watch the episode, and I, I figure, you know, this is, this is what I can work with. It, it's, good, it's a good time. I can get a thousand words out of this. And by this point, they're dividing us up into groups of four or five to go see Russell in the movie theater where they've shown the episode. So I'm in the last group, and I go in, and uh, he's sitting at the bottom of the theater, and he comes up the, the stairs towards us, and just keeps coming. He is, I would guess, 6'6". Six, six. I am built like a door. He is built like a double door, and he's in a good suit. So he is just this enormous Welsh man in front of us who shakes all our hands, kind of, in, and, and he goes, oh, hello, good to meet you. I'm Russell, where are you from? I go, Alistair, hi, hi. <laughs> Good. Next lady down goes, Lady McWelshnank, Penarthen Gazette. And he's like, oh, we're going to get in trouble. And how right he was. Next guy down, he goes, hello, I'm so-and-so. I'm from the Cult Times. And a chill fills the room. <laughs> and Davies looks across at his PR flag and goes, Cult Times. And she's like, yeah? And like, aren't they a bunch of whinging bastards? Turns back to the guy, goes, aren't you a bunch of whinging bastards? Turns back to the PR flag, goes, I thought we banned them. <laughs> And, um, God love him, he is a petty motherfucker when he wants to be, and he does it with such pizzazz, because we got one question each, and pretty much monosyllabic answers. The lady from the Penarthen Gazette got 15 minutes. <laughs> I, I absolutely respect that. I, I, I really, really do. But yeah, Russell T. Davies... Um, first time around on Doctor Who, he was instrumental in the show's revival, presided over Christopher Eccleston's single brilliant season, David Tennant's time in the TARDIS. 
And crucially, he also brought the idea of Doctor Who as a fictional universe into the tent with the BBC, where you know fans and small companies have been doing this stuff for right. decades. Uh, stuff like the Big Finish audios, for example. Davies was the guy who successfully got the BBC to realize that if you have a thing that's successful and people like it and it makes you money, <laughs> the baby Jesus will not cry if you make more of it. <laughs> so um, he pioneered the Sarah Jane Adventures, the YA spinoff, and he pioneered Torchwood. Torchwood, for those of you that don't know, and yes, it is an anagram of Doctor Who, was set in Cardiff and featured the staff of Torchwood 3, the main vault for all the weird stuff that keeps falling on, shooting at, or conquering the UK. <laughs> this is after Torchwood 1 has this whole variety of really horrible things happening to it. The cast included John Barrowman, of whom we no longer speak for a whole bunch of mostly naked reasons, as Captain Jack Harkness, um, Eve Miles as magnificently grumpy new recruit police officer Gwen Cooper, future Hollywood go-to thug Byrne Gorman, yes, that's his name, as uh, Team Doctor and Horn Dog Owen Harper, Mako Mori, notable prior to this for being the Spice Girl who didn't make the final cut in Spice World the movie. <laughs> I used to own that on VHS, Brock. There was a free T-shirt. As Team Scientist Toshiko Sato, Kai Owen as Ro as Reese Gwen's super long-suffering boyfriend, Tom Price as Andy, her equally long-suffering work boyfriend, turned emergency grown-up, <laughs> and Gareth David Lloyd as Yanto Jones. Team Butler, Jack's lover, and Immaculate Suit Enthusiast. If you've never seen this show, and if somehow you haven't been clued into this by what we've been talking about so far, don't watch the first season. It is a fascinating exploration of what happens when a show gets very excited about being allowed to do swears and sex, and by and large forgets to do literally everything else. That's, that's the best explanation of Torchwood I've ever heard. Thank you for that. <laughs> the second season... By and large, is great fun. And Yanto, endlessly pragmatic, remarkably good at punching, and absolutely deadpan as his boyfriend and boss keeps doing his Poundland Batman impersonation, is actually a real highlight. It gets weird and charming and domestic. There's a surprisingly great wedding episode that involves a chainsaw. At one point, James Masters shows up as the human embodiment of that old cartoon bit where a zoot-suited wolf whistles, himself, whistles so hard his eyeballs come out. It's a good time. The third season, Children of Earth, is the one the BBC largely threw under the bus. They pushed it out in summer, which is traditionally the time where no one bothers to watch TV, and uh, they didn't expect very much of it. It is one of the best and angriest pieces of science fiction produced in the Western world in the last two centuries. Released over five days, it's the story of what happens when an alien race called the 456 return to Earth. The last time they were here, they took 12 children in return for the cure for the last pandemic. This time, they want 10% of the child population of the Earth, and the planet's governments are pretty much okay with it. There is no doctor. There is no last-minute save. There is almost no hope. It is a five-episode dive into hell that I suspect will play very differently mid-pandemic than it did beforehand, that features, amongst others, future Doctor Peter Capaldi in a pivotal role and a single line of dialogue delivered by another cast member, and you will know this line when you hear it, which is the most disgusting and elegant summation of the right-wing pigsty of politics we are all trapped in I have ever heard. There are no good people on both sides. Just cowards with power and heroes burdened by ethics and a total lack of support. A pivotal moment in the story sees a sizable portion of the supporting cast to date straight up killed, 
and Yanto is one of them. His death is a punctuation mark in the story. It's permanent and offhand, and it breaks the other survivors in two, because by this point, Torchwood is three people wide, and in the middle of their worst ever day, they become two people wide, and you see how much it hurts, and you see how little anyone else cares. Children of Earth was broadcast in 2009. It ends not quite as darkly as you would expect, but it still hurt. I think in many ways it hits all the harder for that tiny little fraction of light at the end. Like I say, finished in 2009. Last week, in 2022, 13 years later, I visited Yanto Jones Shrine at Mermaid Key in Cardiff. It's a wall of the key, covered in photos and art and cards. It's actually connected to the show as well. There's a door under the key, which supposedly leads into Torchwood 3's secret headquarters. I'm pretty certain they keep it padlocked these days. <laughs> the thing is, that shrine spontaneously generated, and it's been there pretty much since he was killed. It's updated regularly, too. I've been to Cardiff a couple of times since 2009, and it's always been there. It's a little smaller than it used to be, but... Like I say, it's still there. And even better, it's officially recognized. The owners of Mermaid Key, which was also for a long time home to an American diner that the Doctor Who used multiple times, have actually put up a pair of plaques commemorating not only the shrine, but the character himself. Better still, Yanto has found a second wife that is far happier than his first. Big Finish, the company who produce official Doctor Who audio dramas, have two strands of Torchwood shows, which both feature him regularly. One is a series of single-character spotlights, and the other is semi-regular sets of stories set at Torchwood 1 before all the awful happens to it. In those, Yanto, the precise young lad from the valleys who uses his suits and his precision to build a new life for himself, and finds the courage from there to realize and embrace who he really is, is no one's butler. He's no one's supporting character. He's the hero. He's put upon. He's more than slightly panicked. <laughs> He's endlessly laconic, and he is front and center, mortally immortal. His good fight ended, but never quite finished. The Doctor would, I'm sure, not approvingly. I I have so much to rewatch now. <laughs> <laughs> Tor Torchwood occupies so few few neurons in my brain uh, this many years after watching it, and as you were like, yeah, there's the pandemic cure thing. I was like, ah, oh, crap. Ah, crap. There's my afternoon. God damn it. Yeah. Well, at least it's a short run. Oh, yeah. Boy, howdy. That was that was an adventure. I thought this was going to be a story just about being a baby interviewer, and we went so many places. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have to add as well, my favorite beat in the entire show actually happens in the street I passed along last weekend, where the main characters at the top of season two are pursuing a fish-headed gangster, who I believe in later episodes of Doctor Who is canonically named Bob the yes. Fish, um, in a moderately high speed, because it is, after all, the BBC, and it is Cardiff, and the roads are fucking tiny, uh, car chase. <laughs> so they blow through this pedestrian crossing, and Bob blows through, and they like, hurdle through, and all this kind of police car chase stuff going on. And this old Welsh lady watches these two cars pass, sighs with exhausted Celtic venom, and just to herself mutters, bloody Torchwood, and shuffles across the crossing. And it tells you everything about the absurdity of this stupid little island sometimes. <laughs> that there is this super top secret stuff that people just go, yeah, the top secret shit's just over there. 
the same weekend just gone uh we we went out for, for for dinner for marguerite's birthday and there was a police car parked right next to an unmarked vehicle having a conversation with the guy in it and i'm like motherfucker come on <laughs> really really oh where's, where's the where's the secret unmarked police car oh it's just parked next to that black and white fucking hell uh, a man with a t-shirt that says a uh, real drug dealer walks up and starts talking with the guys from the office. <laughs> exactly. Fabulous. Greetings, fellow not cops. <laughs> do you have a caring to go with this? I do. Endings are a point on a line. Nothing more. They're worth making, certainly. And they have a specific gravity, which means we are encouraged, expected, to orbit them. But the thing is... Orbits aren't static, and the potential for momentum is encoded in every foot you hurtle along. So you put your endings in front of you, you hurl yourselves towards them, and you slingshot around them, you use their specific gravity to head to wherever, or whatever, is next. Because endings are a point on a line. But you are not. I think Bob the Fish would appreciate that. Bob the Fish has just gurgled approvingly, I'm quite sure. <laughs> What do you got this week, Brock? Uh, I've got the thing that everyone got to got to get a piece on, which is that uh, uh, NASA released its space telescope stuff from the James Webb Space Telescope, and it's it it shows us uh, thousands of galaxies and some of the faintest objects ever observed, uh, and it's it's nothing. It's just nothing. <laughs> It, they're like this this thing this thing blows the Hubble telescope out of the water and then they released the first set of photos of of all these galaxies we haven't seen and it's basically the exact same photos as what the Hubble did but just brighter like the glow up is real they put an Instagram filter over it and they're like <laughs> it's 10,000 times more powerful it was just like I don't know. Now it just makes everything that was cool in the first one look a little like the celestial bodies that are speaking at the start of "It's a Wonderful Life." <laughs> like I don't. It's just sure. It's fine. Um, but like, I know nothing about space, as I think this this show proves by the number of space related things I bring to the table and go. Have you guys ever heard about this? And you're like, it's it's the word is stars. It's stars. Have you not heard of stars? <laughs> what is happening? Uh, so I, I'm I'm sure to the layman's eye, like there's many more interesting things here, and I'm sure that for them, not looking at a tw a compressed Twitter image, actual scientists are like, this has changed everything. But for me, I'm just like, it's, yeah, they uh, the the brightness and the tint are up. Uh, there's a sepia filter. I don't I I don't know. I don't know what's happened here. That makes it so exciting. Uh, mostly I just enjoyed about it that um, the internet got to have a fun, wacky time around it because the Biden administration and NASA announced, like, it's going to, it's happening in an hour. Here it comes. And then it just kept delaying and they, people were losing their minds. They're like, how can you not have this ready? <clears throat> like, we're, we're so angered by this delay. It just shows how the government is bad. I'm just like the you're 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 talking about scientists that deal with things in terms of like millennia, like the 35 minute delay here 
is not a thing that they can even perceive. Like the, these men have never been on time to lunch. It's it's just not a thing that has happened. So <laughs> you sure put your anger into that place. Your your faux outrage about the the amount of time you've had to wait on ast- astronomers, that thing that you're always having to do and are so frustrated by. I I'm I'm being flip, but also the photos are genuinely beautiful and it's really cool to look at and to think about just how many people are out there probably uh or not uh but uh, no matter what it it does give the impression as uh as if everyone is watching us instead of the other way around it there's there there was an incredible feel to it for me of like not like hey we are uh, take we are uh, looking out and and seeing what else is out there it it everything is clumped together in such a way in the main image that was released that it kind of feels like they got everybody together for a group photo or that they were already just sort of standing there as as an as a gallery watching us and they're like what's all that then what <laughs> what is that that you think you're doing there that's cute or interesting or troublesome we're not we're not exactly sure what you're what you're doing over there but like you, you're certainly doing something and let me we we would all like to see how this plays out so um so this is my caring for the week look at that audience bigger than you expected maybe a little disorienting at first you've been told it's better if you picture them all naked giving you the power but those are celestial bodies it's kind of hard to body shame in space so here you are the center of their attention they're not looking at each other they're looking at you ask them to pose for a photo. Some of them are smiling. Some of them are faking it and perhaps going a little too big. A few quasars are standing on their tiptoes to seem slightly taller, as if we don't know exactly how large they are, guys. But they are all looking at you. Not because you're the cameraman, but because they've always been looking at you. Among all those worlds, and those worlds within worlds, they all know that they lack something wildly important. Something that you have. Their jealousy seethes from their very pores, and you know that you are truly the bell of the ball here. Some of them are probably even talking shit, like AE95 in the back there, probably whispering under her breath about how you don't deserve what you've got. But that's real easy to shut down. All you have to do is narrow your eyes, take pride in your work, and hiss, Hey, get a life form. Okay, that everything you do on this show is fantastic, <laughs> but that is a legitimate mic drop. <laughs> God damn, dude, that's brilliant. Well, I, I, I mean, all, all it makes me want to ask you about because I, I don't know where you stand is to sort of see all of that. Are you the sort of person that can see a billion galaxies, and your first thought is like, "There's no way we're alone," or are you the sort of person that looks all that and and sees like, "I don't see anybody waving." I think we're totally alone because that <laughs> it is increasingly the camp I fall into, and more or less, I guess we're both doing alien time today with the Torchwood thing. But like, I, I, I think that if there's anything science fiction has taught me, it's that we should probably be pretty happy if we're the only ones out there. Well, yeah, there is that. I feel like I am on the move between those two camps. I think for my whole life, I was like, no, absolutely, there is alien life, obviously. And, and you know, without 
bringing the mood down at all. At the moment, I do find much more comfort in I hope there's alien life, and it's staying the fuck away from us. Because <laughs> we got some shit to figure out for a little while. Uh, strangely, it all comes down to an issue of perception, I mm -hmm. think. And not just perception of what we see when we see that, but, you know, the old thing of the, the old apocryphal story of how when Columbus first arrived in America and successfully murdered the Vikings and buried their ships and corpses so he could take the credit. <laughs> allegedly. allegedly. Um, as if as if he's going to sue you? Why do we have to allegedly that one? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the thing of how, because the ships were just something completely outside the perception of you know, actual Americans at that point, they just didn't under, didn't see them as a concept. And I wonder whether that, I sometimes wonder about that and whether that's actually why we haven't found alien life yet, because it's right there, we just can't see it. And strange, strangely, there was a, we had an experience the last night in Cardiff around the time I was dealing with the barely contained horror at my boss going, yeah, that lunchtime meeting, it's actually three hours long now, bye. Um, <laughs> we, we had a balcony room over Cardiff Bay, and we're, we're on the balcony talking. Marguerite's fixing my life, as you've literally encountered today. And I go, what's that? And there's this red and green light, and it hurtles across the other side of the bay and stops. And then it drops 100 feet and stops. And it goes up 200 feet and hurtles left. And we watched what? this thing for about 10 minutes. And I was very much a teenage parapsychologist. I know a lot, you know, I, I did a lot of UFO research when I was a kid because it was either that or, you know, having fun. And <laughs> I know which choice I should have made. So, you know, the whole time I'm going, aerodynamically impossible, okay? Slightly unusual light pattern, okay? Five years ago, even, I'd be freaking out. But right now, I'm like, oh, yep, there it is. We were both right. And literally, as I'm thinking, I'm pretty certain that's it. It gets close enough so we can hear the of the drone engine. Great. Perfect. And without that, it looked freaky as shit. With it, you go, oh, yeah, I know what that is. And I, I, I think a lot of stuff sits in that perceptual filter. We, there's things we perceive but don't understand. And I choose to believe right now, today, in this cupboard, that that is what alien life looks like and why we haven't quite seen it yet. I like the idea that for them it is your perspective on this, but the, the thing that I would experience the moment I saw it was a drone and it'd be like, oh, I'm so annoyed, drones. Ugh. But they they can see us and they're like that's a weird thing that they're doing but oh oh it's them again don't don't, don't make eye contact <laughs> don't, don't, they'll want food or something you know do you have uh, any self care tips for this week I do as I speak to you the UK is two days off a heat wave it's pretty hot here already but there is and I swear this is a real term a heat dome forming over Europe which is basically going to park over the country for two days. And that will mean a sizable portion of the country will spike to about 40 degrees C across Monday and Tuesday. Sorry, you didn't make your story for the week Heat Dome? Heat Dome has perfect mouthfeel for this show. Heat Dome. <laughs> My goodness. Real missed opportunity here for Heat Dome. I I'm going to make a note for the next episode. <laughs> um, 40 degrees here is a lot. Considering this island is made entirely of rain, overcoats, and bigotry a lot of the time, <laughs> you can add about 20 degrees to perceptual heat for that. It's no good. And the profoundly annoying ass-backwards crappy little culture that we live in has also got centuries of building houses designed to hold heat into it. 
and also a population so dismally undereducated that every warning about this has on social media has this fucking plinker trail of bring it on and well when i was a kid the world was just line drawings so we didn't really feel the heat i don't see what problem you snowflakes have you know it's just it's very annoying and it's also a little dangerous. And on top of all of this, and I swear I'm not making this up, because I know this sounds like a punchline that any, any writer's room worth its salt would go, oh, fucking come on, Matt. As we speak, there is an emergency meeting of the um, we should probably have a meeting emergency committee <laughs> who brilliantly are called COBRA, Oh my god, you you can't absolutely can't true. Real. That actually can't be real. They are called COBRA, <laughs> I promise you. Brilliantly, and I swear this isn't a punchline, our disgraced Prime Minister, who has resigned but never actually said the word resign and is staying on until September but so that his successor can be picked, and also so a vote of no confidence in his government, which 50 people resign from, can be delayed, is literally hosting a farewell party at the mansion we pay for him to live in rent-free rather than hosting this meeting. I, I had not heard that detail. Oh, this is my favorite day. This is my favorite recording we've ever done. <laughs> this, this just this is one blade turn after the other. <laughs> so what what this boils down to, aside from the fact that I'm giving serious consideration to getting a t-shirt made with the phrase "Welcome to Normal Island, fuckers," on it, <laughs> is that we have to look after ourselves. So while I'm aware this is coming in late, and I'm also aware we probably have a lot of U.S. listeners rather than UK, but just in case the next time the heat hits, some of this stuff might be of use. If you don't live places where this weather is common, and I bloody don't, the first thing that you need to rem remember is it's going to be okay. Don't worry. I mean, smash your mouth and we're right. We are in the process of walking on the sun. But don't let the worry get in the way of taking action. And the action you can take is actually pretty easy. Um, close curtains and windows. Hydrate more than you think. Um, being mildly crass for a moment, because it's not like that's anything we ever do. Uh, if you aren't peeing regularly on very hot days you are absolutely not drinking enough and i used to be the poster boy for dehydration i know what it feels like it's not nice <laughs> um cold food this is salad weather lean into it take it easy take it slowly also if you are on antidepressants or blood pressure meds a lot of them raise the chance of, of heat stroke um the examples which i've been given are the uh, uh, loxetine which is in prozac serifem and simbax Citalopram, which is also in Selexa, Escitalopram, which is in Lexapro, Fluvoxamine, which is in Luvox, Peroxetine, which is in Pax Paxil and Pexiva, and Sertraline, which is in Zoloft. And I want to thank my uh, buddy on, who's on Twitter under the name Ephemera Woman for giving me that information. I, I love that I know that you made up one of those, but no one else knows which one. <laughs> <laughs> That was, a, that was a fun little game you tossed out there, and, and, and listeners can, can play that at home. <laughs> but if you are in, in like a heat spike area, if you are under the heat dome, as I will shortly be, take it easy. That's my stuff, Karen. Do you have one? Yeah, I was actually uh, coming to talk about what people could do in the heat wave that's coming your way. Um, I didn't know it was called the Heat Dome, but I have enjoyed watching uh, Midwest America Twitter constantly threading their ideas for what you can do uh, because they're like, look, we, we do this shit all the time. 
Turf Island, I know that you've not been through this before, so here's some advice. Uh, and you actually covered most of the stuff I had listed. I, I guess the only piece of down-home country advice I can toss up here is um, fans. Just fans are, are good, but like if the fan yeah. is not uh, pulling it off the way you're hoping, a uh, little old trick uh, from the Midwest here is to uh, put a, a bowl of water in front of the fan. I did not, however, have a list of imaginary medications, so like, <laughs> I'm glad that you really covered that, that side of it. I live to both serve and inform. <sighs> yeah, just just drink enough water. Like, I, I mean, yeah. hydrate, bitch, is of course the the through line of of everything <laughs> that we all believe in as a generation. But like, for realsies, you you actually do have to pay attention on this one. So. It's not, it's not advice just on your end. Uh, I'm about to go to Chicago next week for an event. I love Chicago. I lived there for several years. But, like, going to Chicago in, the, in late July, and uh, I, I, I'm going to be there for five days for a conference, and I do not intend to leave my hotel. There's so many things I miss and that I want to see, but it is a Chicago summer, and I know that if I step outside, I will simply – burst into dust i will be snapped uh thanos will show up and be like i don't even want to be here at chicago in the summer like let's just get this over with so yeah i'm preparing to really keep refilling that now gene over and over again so yeah um hydrate good 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 drinking water <laughs> smart do you have any uh sharings for this week yeah i do um we are two episodes into the uh, Chiwetel for Naomi Harris, Man Who Fell to Earth show, and it's kind of amazing. It's so good, um, and Rob Delaney is in a serious show. Uh, we we stumbled on it like while flipping channels, and I was like, "What's this thing where Rob Delaney is being shot in a in beautiful cinematography? I've never seen something like this. What is this thing?" Right. <laughs> I, I I just. The, the way that it builds and how, how kind of cleverly it just explores the idea of what alien means at every single level. And that's even down to tone. I was very surprised by how funny it is. And, and it is genuinely very funny in spots. And it's just beautifully written and acted and shot weirdly. And I'm, just, I'm digging the hell out of it. The original The Man Who Fell to Earth, which, if you're a listener and you don't know, uh, starred David Bowie and uh, I think his first major acting role, yes. uh, was, was something that my dad introduced me to as a kid. <laughs> uh, the Man Who Fell to Earth was always very funny to him because he's like, yeah, this, this got made and it got shelved for a little bit before it came out. And it was very funny because by the time it came out, a lot of the stuff that the alien had that was his cool future alien technology was already real so like david bowie was like i have a camera and it will take a picture and then the the picture develops and polaroid was over there like yeah we've been on the market for like six months everybody's got one one of these that's not a it's not that's not as fascinating as you think it is mr spaceman david 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 <laughs> it's tin machine time david <laughs> it is always tin machine time we do not talk about Tin Machine enough as a culture. Oh, my God. <laughs> you realize six listeners just high-fived when we, we said that. Yes! Tin Machine Nation. More interesting than what we 
what we were talking about earlier, do you want to tell people what Tin Machine is? Because I feel like more of our listeners would actually like knowing about that. Bowie's, um, would you count them as rock or heavy metal? To slap a genre on it, I feel like does it a disservice. <laughs> they were David Bowie's band for a while. Uh, I think they did two or three albums. And to date myself perfectly and completely, <laughs> I always kind of view Tin Machine as Garbage's dad. Okay. Without Tin Machine, you couldn't have got Garbage and that kind of hyper-articulate, just mildly goth, perfect soundtrack for every 1990s World of Darkness role-playing game. This was one of the points in, in Bowie's career where he, he realized just how good he looked in suits. Uh, there were a lot of suits. There was a lot of kind of art rock. Um, around the same time, his kind of David Bowie flavor albums were doing very similar stuff, which is where um, Jump They Say, which is possibly my favorite track of his that isn't the Heart's Filthy Lesson <laughs> that I grew up in the 1990s comes from. Um, it's a really interesting time, and it's one of those periods in Bowie's career which gets overlooked because you've got the Thin White Duke stuff, you've got the fantastic last couple of albums, you've got the kind of various bits and pieces in and amongst all that. And along with Buddha of Suburbia, the Tin Machine albums are a very distinct style and tone. And it's really one of those things where he feels that it feels like he's trying on a different coat for a couple of albums to see how it fits. And the albums themselves are fun. When you listen to them in connection with everything else he's done, you can really see the kind of huge lane changes he does across the course of his career. I think that that's the kindest review I've ever heard somebody give Tin Machine. <laughs> Which is, is just sort of a universal musical punchline, but like, yes, you're you're right. Sure, that's that's in a way to appreciate it. Look, it's David Bowie trying something new. You know, that thing David Bowie is not famous for doing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a new and revolutionary thing from a new and revolutionary artist. Is it good? It's a new and revolutionary thing from a new and revolutionary artist. <laughs> just to hold eye contact the whole time. Look, that's that's also the review of the Earthling album, which is my favorite of all time. So, like, sure, it's fine. But yes, Tin Machine, <laughs> 1988, Bowie bought some different suits, started a heavy metal band where he played saxophone. It's fine. It's fine. Everything is what it is. <laughs> it, it's fine. It, if, if you can get through Dancing in the Streets, you can get through Tin Machine. Wow. That was, that is a stance, my friend. <laughs> approach to, to Bowie, I, I re I've realized over time to a lot of other people, which is the album I came in on was the Nathan Adler Diaries Volume 1, and I basically lived there. I was like, yes, perfect. Okay. This, this hole was made for me. Good. And... <laughs> <laughs> and as a result, I, I look at the stuff around that far more kindly, I think, than a lot of other people. So... You know, if, if, if you want weird David Bowie saxophone suit rock, and sometimes I do, this is kind of your period. If you want the stuff that, you know, is good, maybe go elsewhere. <laughs> I mean, Let's Dance is my go-to karaoke track, so yeah. I, I And now I must see it. this performed. I must see this performed. <laughs> my, my actual go-to move is to then, after that, uh, perform other songs at karaoke, as if David Bowie were doing them. My David Bowie doing Spice Girls when two become one is second to none. You are literally threatening me with a good time, and I am absolutely <laughs> here for it. Uh, do you have a sharing into the void for the week? 
I sharing into the void was going to be Man Who Fell to Earth. <laughs> it's it's good. People should watch it. Fair enough. Uh, what I got this week is a uh, double header. Um, uh, Steph Caster, uh, who is my new associate editor over at the Pitch, uh, she's got a couple books of poetry. Uh, one that she released last year uh, called "Keep Her in Your Mouth." Ooh. We'd all failed to notice that this happened, uh, but she made uh, like a publisher's weekly list of the best books to buy for Pride Month uh, from what? from queer authors, and. It wasn't until after Pride Month that we found it, like, doing a Google search for something else. It was like, hey, did you know that you, like, you made, like, a list? Uh, so, yeah, um, it, it was actually one of those things that I think the publisher was actually, like, sold out of copies of the book. And then suddenly there was a huge influx of, like, hi, we would like several hundred copies of this. So, um <laughs> Yeah, uh, it is back in stock, and you can find it at all the normal online realtor places. But uh, keep her in your mouth from Steph Caster, which is just a supremely good, a supremely good time. The other uh, thing that you should take a look at is uh, Liz Cook is one of our writers, uh, an award-winning writer that is basically a gonzo journalist, but for food. Uh, she is maybe the funniest person I know in the world, maybe easily the best writer I, I have ever worked with. She'll do just about anything for a story uh, that is wild and out of control, but she can equally make the story of making a stupid casserole into something that exciting. Uh, the, the, before I was working with her, I was following a blog that she was doing where she was uh, working her way through a cookbook that was uh, a cookbook compiled by the wives of Republican senators in the early 1970s, where each one of them submitted their own recipe. And so it's just the Republican wives cookbook from the early 70s. Oh so God. almost everything has like tuna in it and like hamburger. Everything's a casserole. Everything's a casserole and terrible. Wrong and bad, but also politically shit. Uh, and, like, she just has an incredible time with this. She also uh, wound up accidentally hosting a, an event here in Kansas City that was a malort competition. I, anyway, she does basically food crimes to herself that are, uh, as, as Megan from the show can tell you, one of the best things available on the Internet. She has a substack, and it's called Haterade. Haterade. It's free. Uh, you can uh, just uh, follow Liz Cook Casey on Twitter or just look up Haterade uh, on on Substack. But like you you deserve to get it in your mailbox every other week when it comes out. Uh, it is it is also like the thing that I want that I can't have. Like every couple of months I come to her and I'm like, can I buy you out? Can I buy can I buy you to do that here? And she's like, I I like having my own thing. And I'm like, I fully understand that. But also the fact that I can't have haterade and that it belongs <laughs> to the people uh, as a capitalist, I just really have to. <laughs> uh, so haterade, haterade by Liz Cook. Uh, you you do yourself a disservice to not have that. I will post links to that on my Twitter. Uh, please please enjoy that. But uh, you you owe it to yourself uh, to hop on that train. I'm going to subscribe to that immediately. 
folks thank you so much for joining us i hope you had a good time this week um if you did please share the episodes we're all up on your podcatcher social media would be greatly appreciated likewise leave a review reviews are great they aid in discoverability and they remind us that whilst we are carrying into the void we're not screaming into the void um one last thing um our brother jordan shively is an incredibly talented human i could leave it there i won't i want to embarrass him some more uh if you go to void merch which is his website there is a ragtag fugitive fleet of collections of t-shirts and stickers and notebooks and all kinds of cool as shit stuff please go please pick some stuff up and also if you're looking for a two-fisted hyper-talented graphic designer you're looking for jordan and we just told you where he is go get him i like the vaguely threatening nature of that in a manhunt sense we've told you where he is yes get him. Get him. bring him in <laughs> bring him in to create a fulfillment of financial security do it do it born slams desk uh brock where can folks find you online <laughs> Hopefully nowhere. Oh my god. At Brock Wilbur on most things. Thepitchkc.com where we do great journalism each and every day of the week. Thanks a lot, folks. That was the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Alistair Stewart. Please do so and please, please follow Brock so we can all survive this hell site together. We'll see you next time. But before that, please remember to always keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we'll see you again next time in the void. Bye 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 bye. Thank <laughs> you.